Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. Real. There you go. <laughs> Covenant real. <laughs> good morning, Covenant Grace. It is good to see you. Kids, we're about to go out to our lesson today. Parents, we've been going through the Old Testament and we're in the book of Joshua and we're learning about how God answers his promises. He fulfills them perfectly and God's people are about to go into the promised land. A very exciting lesson for today. And so kids, if you are ready to go out, um, Auntie Kadlin is waiting for you somewhere. Oh, there we go. We're going to be going out through the back door to the, uh, what is this thing called? The Wendy House. And so if you are a glow bug, you can go out that way and follow there. And if you're in gig, grade one, two, three, four, five, you're going to be going across the road. And there are some teachers that are going to take you out. Here's Amy. There's Auntie Kim. All right. And then if you're in grade six or seven, you're going to be going upstairs for your Bible lesson. And here comes Gretel. You can follow her. All right, we're in the Gospel of John, busy preaching through this book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we're in chapter 4 today. Uh, chapter 4 is quite a, a familiar chapter, and uh, it's one that I hope that uh, you've read before, and so the, the, the story is a remarkable story. In fact, we could say it's a beautiful story. It is one of the profound, beautiful stories of Scripture where Jesus interacts with a Samaritan woman at the well. And so we just need to pick up a bit of the landscape of what's going on. Jesus was ministering, remember last week, he was ministering with his disciples. They had retreated to the countryside. They had uh, retreated to the countryside, and Jesus and the disciples were there, and the disciples were baptizing, doing what John was doing. And this was happening in the countryside of Judea. And, uh, and the author, John, is quite clear on, 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 on the lie of the land and how things were going to unfold in terms of the ministry. And so Jesus was going to move from Judea, and now he was going to head towards Galilee. But in order to get from Judea to Galilee, he needed to pass through Samaria. It was, uh, it was a, a difficult journey, um, not, a, not an easy journey, obviously by foot. And uh, it was an, an arid region, and it was hot. And Jesus would make this long trip. He wouldn't go around. He went through Samaria. It was the shortest route. It was the quickest route. Um, but it was also quite a dangerous route. And uh, there was always this long-standing hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so I've asked my dear wife. She's going to read the whole text. I'm just going to read the first four verses because I want you to see the Judea, Galilee, Samaria part. And, uh, and then Wendy's going to come and read the rest of the text. So have a look here from verse 1 through 4. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. So not only were John's disciples upset, but the Pharisees were upset about this. Although, this is interesting, verse 2, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. That's interesting. You know, of all the things that, you know, we, sometimes the church has tended to make too much of baptism, well, hello, Jesus didn't even baptize. So, so there is a place for it, and there's an important place for it, 
But uh, we mustn't overestimate the place of baptism. Verse 3, here's his movements. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So it is here where Jesus meets what I call a shady lady <laughs> at the well. Over to you, babe. Okay, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come, come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one, sorry, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our father worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is, called, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or, why are you talking with her? So the woman left 
her water jar and went away into town and said to people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap, that for which you did not labor, Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to, to stay with, with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So I want to group this lengthy story, um, but such a rich story under three headings. Jesus seizes the moment, Jesus satisfies the soul. And Jesus solves the worship war. Here we go. Point number one, Jesus seizes the moment. Verses six and seven. Have a look again there, verses six and seven. Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour means it's midday. It's in the scorching heat, the middle of the day, and uh, he is wearied. This is a profound statement regarding the humanity of Christ. We know that he's the Son of God. John opened so beautifully that the Word became flesh, the Word that was in the beginning. The Word has now come to tabernacle with us. The eternal Son of God is weary. Isn't that a remarkable thought? Jesus clothed himself in our humanity. He tasted not only our uh, relational happiness, but he also tasted our weariness. He tasted our infirmities. He was marked by thirst and hunger and weariness. And so he's seated at the well, and a woman from Samaria comes to draw water, and Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And this seems like a very natural thing. At first, it seems very normal, very natural, nothing controversial, except that she is shocked to the core that he's even speaking to her. Look at verse 9. It says, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And as I said earlier, this was an ancient 
problem. This was an ancient animosity between Jews and Gentiles, in particular the Samaritans. And it is helpful for us just to remember that the Samaritans were the remnant of the northern Jewish kingdom. They were somewhat believers, and they had intermarried with foreigners. And because of this, they were rejected by the purists, the pure Jews that they had kind of rejected this half-breed people who had a little bit of Judaism and a whole lot of paganism and had woven it all together to find a comfortable narrative to live by. And part of the narrative that the Samaritans had embraced was that they had also created their own place of worship. And it was on Mount Gerizim. They had their own location, their own place where they would gather together as the Samaritan peoples and they would worship on that mountain. And so they had a place. And they would be remembered for all history for having rejected most of the Old Testament. And so what they were living by, the the kind of code, the religious code that the Samaritans had embraced was their own version of the first five books of Moses, the Torah. And so they had their own version. So there were these kind of little hints at Judaism, strong hints, but nevertheless not the full revelation. In fact, there was a Jewish prayer, there's a recorded Jewish prayer that says this, and the Jews would pray this fairly regularly. They would pray, Lord, do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection. And this just gives us a little insight into the the, the lie of the land in terms of the relational tensions. And so now it's no surprise that she's shocked. If, If this is kind of the prayer, the underlying prayer of the people It's interesting how Jesus responds. And what we see here is that Jesus actually seizes the moment. He he, he stops there because he's weary, because of his humanity, but he seizes the moment. And and the moment is so incredible. He's, He's very natural and he's very intentional with this woman. He doesn't outrightly condemn her. He doesn't ignore her. In fact, what he does is he begins to build a bridge. He begins to build a relational bridge. And I think there's some wonderful insights here for evangelism for us today. And this isn't a message about evangelism, but I do think we just need to clock that, that that there's some wonderful insights here in terms of contextualizing and relational building. And Jesus transcends all the cultural boundaries. He transcends all the history of racism, of sexism. It doesn't stop him from reaching out to this woman. And as Christians, we can do this. We are to follow Jesus' example. We, we are to cross boundaries. We are to be a cross-boundary people. We are to go into places and spaces that others wouldn't go to. We are to engage with people that people would obviously reject as outcasts. As Christians, we've always moved towards these people because Christ did. Christ moved towards them, so we move towards them. But, but, but notice, she's not just a Samaritan with all of this cultural history. She's also a woman, but also she's a shady lady, right? She's an immoral woman. As the story unfolds, we begin to see that, that, that she's tried everything in her life to fill her love tank of sorts. She's she's had a string of five failed marriages. That's 
that's hectic. Five intense relational, emotional, physical relationships with five men. And she's currently living with a man that's not her husband. So she's come to draw water. When? Well, John tells us at the sixth hour. Is this just a throwaway statement? No, no. It's interesting. Jesus has been on a long journey, but she's picked it. She picked the sixth hour. Normally, the culture, the, 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 the norm of the day was we go early in the morning to avoid the heat of the day. And so it was the cultural practice of the day was that there would be a whole lot of women who would travel together and they would go out to Jacob's well in the cool of the morning and it would be kind of a catch-up time. Not only are we getting water for the day, but we are catching up on the news of the town, right? I'll leave it there. (laughs) However, she's ignored this Moment, this moment of opportunity to go with the other ladies of the town. Why? Because she's feeling guilty. She's feeling like an outcast because her story is a scandalous story. This, this, isn't, just, this isn't just a throwaway. This, she's actually living with guilt and shame. And so she goes in the heat of the day to avoid all the gossip, to avoid all the, the looks And so she comes out at the worst time of the day. But actually, for her, it's going to be the best time. Because Jesus seizes this moment. So she's there. She's there alone. And she's there with her thoughts. She's there with her soul's disease. There's pain. There's there's longing. And there is scandal. This is a woman whose heart has craved for belonging. This is a woman whose heart has craved for being accepted and loved. And she's tried. She's tried and she's gone to love and for love in all the wrong places. She she thinks that in order to be accepted, in order to feel longing, belonging, in order to feel love, that she needs to be in some kind of relationship where she's just giving. And so she goes from one relationship to another. And she's, what she's doing is she's looking for a sense of worth. She's, she's looking for a sense of identity. But human relationships will never deliver that. Let's just have a moment here for ourselves and, and, and realize this, that, that our human relationships are not designed to carry the weight of your identity. Your identity is not to be placed in human relationships. The full weight of your identity and worth and significance can never be carried by human relationships. This is why we are designed to be in relationship with God. Because only God can bear that expectation, the expectation of you need to fulfill my desires, you need to create and shape my identity, you need to give me a sense of worth and belonging. That's impossible for a human being to give to someone. And she's discovering this the hard way. And so she arrives at the well with all of this history, with all of this background noise, with expectation, with disappointment, and she's empty. And Jesus says to her, you've come to this well 
to satisfy your thirst day after day after day, and it works for a moment, but then the thirst returns. And she's like, 100%, yes. And then Jesus uses this picture to, to help her to see that this is a picture of your life. This is a picture of your soul, that, that you've been in a series day after day of sorts in relationship from relationship that does not satisfy. You, you're trying to quench your soul's thirst with all the things that can never satisfy. Which brings us to point two, the living water. Jesus satisfies the soul. Verse 10, have a look. He says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, he's speaking of himself, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I think she's looking at Jesus going, who is the strange guy? And now he's wanting to give me something. And Jesus is speaking about living water, and she's only thinking about physical water. She's, she's interested because she, she needs a need met, and her, her immediate need is thirst and, and water for the day. And so she, she's happy to engage with Jesus, and Jesus is talking about another need. She sees her physical need. He sees a deeper need. And so Jesus has already transitioned from this is a wonderful opportunity. He seizes the moment to, to, to illustrate something that's going on in her heart with a physical need. And it's clear that the Samaritan woman's not tracking, right? She's not tracking initially. And so Jesus changes his strategy. He goes even deeper. The living water thing just didn't click for her. And so he goes a little deeper. In verse 16, he says to her, woman, go call your husband. And Jesus knows. After all, he's the son of God. He knows. And he puts his finger on a sore spot. And he gets an honest reply. In verse 17, she says, I have no husband. Let's, let's read it from verse 17 and 18. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Her, her need to be loved, her need to find security and worth in the affection of men has driven her to multiple husbands and to an affair with another man. Is Jesus being unkind? He kind of rips the plaster off, this festering wound, the sense of desperation. And Jesus is presenting her with a solution. You can continue drinking at these broken wells, that never really satisfy, or you can come to streams of living water. Look at it in verse 14. He says it so clearly, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And in this moment, 
where her sin has been revealed. She's feeling vulnerable and she's feeling the very thing that Jesus was going after. You need to feel your need. Stop, stop playing at a surface level with worth and identity and trying to get human beings to fulfill you. You need to go deeper and realize why you're living in such emptiness and disappointment. Why are you going from one relationship to another relationship? And she's cut to the heart and she's wondering, how does this guy know this about me? Look at her response in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Something's happening in her. And then she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. It's not that, that, that she was not interested in worship, right? She's saying, Our people, the Samaritan fathers, worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. But you say, the Jews, you say that you worship is in Jerusalem, is the place where people ought to worship. So, so firstly, she's acknowledging that, that actually something supernatural is happening here. This guy is not just any old guy at the, at the well. He's, he's a prophet. He knows everything about me. He's opened up my heart. Something's happening in my heart. Her knowledge is beginning to grow. Jesus is beginning to reveal himself. He eventually even says, as she says, oh, we are expecting the Messiah. And later on, he says, I am he. And so her knowledge is growing more and more, and something's happening in her heart. Her sin has been revealed. She, she sees the need of a Savior, which is now presented to her as living water. And the very next thing she says is, I need to worship. I need to worship. Point three, Jesus solves the worship war. Now, some think, some think that, that maybe this is, was a, a diversion tactic, you know, a diversion tactic is when someone starts a conversation and you don't like it, you throw in another conversation, right? And so she's feeling vulnerable. Is this a diversion tactic? Jesus has just uncovered this huge scandal. And she says, hey, let's have a theological debate. Is this a diversion tactic? Is she, is she now feeling so nervous, so vulnerable, that she's like, hey, let's start a conversation around theology. I'm sure if this guy's a prophet, let's have a theological debate. You know, the Jews, apparently the Jews worship in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans, we've worshipped over there. So which one do you think it is? Let's have a debate. I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think this is diversion. I think this is a result of conversion. I think that, that, that God, by the Spirit, which we saw in John chapter 3, the wind of the Spirit is already blowing into her life and beginning to illuminate reality for her, and she is wrestling with the reality of how do I get right with God? How do I get right with God? Because part of the response to, to worship is I need someone bigger. I need someone else. I've been worshiping at the altar of broken systems. I've been worshiping at the altar of sexual relationships. I've been worshiping with, with, with desperate need for worth and identity, but I need something much bigger. I need to be right with God. Where do I go? Do I go to Jerusalem or do I go to the mountain where the Samaritans worship? Where do I go to get right with God? And Jesus answers and again, this could be a whole sermon on itself, but, but just in its context, Jesus says, listen, lady, it's not about where, it's about who and how. It's not about the place. The place was always just a picture. 
It's about who and about how. Look at verse 23. Jesus tells her, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is there before her, and he's revealing himself. He says, the hour has come and is now here. The gift of God. If you knew the gift of God, the gift of God is right before you. The hour is now here. He is here. The gift of God has arrived. Jesus is the place of worship. Jesus is the gift of God. As we saw in John chapter 2, Jesus is the new temple. Destroy this temple in three days, I will rebuild it, he said. And from this temple will flow, will flow rivers of living water. This is a hint back to Ezekiel's prophecy of a temple being rebuilt. And from the temple, the threshold of the temple were, were, were floods of water. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus, not some rebuilt building. It's Jesus in his death and resurrection. And the Spirit is the living water. And so Jesus is reorientating it for her. He says, listen, it's not about worshiping in Jerusalem. It, the, 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 way of the, the worship of the Jews is null and void without Jesus, and the worship of the Samaritans is null and void without Jesus. There is only one true way to worship, and that is through Christ, the very gift of God. He explains this more in verse 21. He says, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, and he was pointing to where the Samaritans would worship in Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And so Jesus diverts the attention away from Judaism and away from Samaritan worship. Instead of being on a particular mountain, whether it was Gerizim or Jerusalem, he says it's got nothing to do with either of those places. It has everything to do with it being in spirit and truth. Now, what, what do we learn from this? Well, I think what we learn here is that, 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 that the Samaritans were eager worshipers. So were the Jews. But there was a contrast here. There's a contrast here because in some ways, Samaritan worship was enthusiastic, but remember, they didn't have all the truth. They rejected most of the Old Testament. They had their own version of the first five books of the law. So they didn't have the full revelation of God. So they were worshipers, but not in truth. But on the other hand, the Jews, who were also worshippers, and they had the full revelation of God, they, they held to all the Old, Old Testament books, all 39 books, they worshipped in truth, but not necessarily in spirit. And it's almost amazing how Jesus, her question was about Jewish worship, Samaritan worship, and Jesus says both of those are void. Both of those are deficient. There's elements of truth, yes, there's, there's something in both of them, but you've got to bring the best of both together and center it on Christ. So here's what I want to do to end. Jesus solves the worship wars, right? Because worship must be in spirit with your heart and in truth with your head. It needs to involve emotion, not just lip service, and it needs to involve truth. 
which is centered on Christ. He, he unpacks this further. Look at this. It's absolute genius in verse 22. I'm coming into land. You worship, he says. He says to the woman, you worship what you do not know. There it is. They're enthusiastic, but they don't have enough truth. It's not rooted in knowledge. You ask them, hey, do you know, there was an expectation of the Messiah, but there was no way to connect the dots. There wasn't enough truth. Truth needs to be the foundation of our worship. You worship what you do not know. And then he says, and the Jews, on the other hand, we, includes himself because he was a Jew, we worship what we know. So there's the contrast. There's not enough truth, and there's a lot of truth, but there are problems on both sides. And the way we solve that is we come to Christ, who's the Savior of the world, and in Christ, what happens? In Christ, we see the fullness of truth. Who is God? We see who God is. God is revealed in Christ. There's truth. And if that's true, you can't just give lip service. It changes your whole life. Because when you believe the truth and you center your life on Jesus Christ, in you will flow rivers of living water. That satisfies your soul. That which she was looking for, that which she was longing for. Jesus solves the puzzle and he pulls these pieces together and he says, yes, your worship must have heart and it must be enthusiastic, but without truth it doesn't satisfy. I think some of the, the modern church's worship needs to hear this. We've got lots of enthusiastic worship, but you ask the kids after the service, can you tell me about what Jesus did for you? And they're like, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Can you explain the gospel a little bit further? There needs to be truth. If God is going to be worshipped and honored as God, we need to know who he is. But also, you can't just have truth that leads to cold orthodoxy. There also needs to be fire, because I know this Christ, the gift of God, who brings forth living waters, who satisfies our souls. This picture here is of refreshing. This, this is a well that springs up within us and satisfies our souls. And so Jesus amazingly brings together these two things of spirit, heart, and truth, head. Or we could say heart being pathos, the pathos of your life, and the head, the logos. Jesus is the logos, truth. Worship must involve both our hearts and our heads. But worship, remember, is not just singing. Worship is not just worship songs. It's all of life. And so she, she, she had this idea of, I need to go and worship. I need to be made right with God. And Jesus says, here it is. Here's the gift of God. Drink deeply from me, and your worship will be in spirit and in truth. But then she goes, and she goes to, to, to do more worship. And she goes back to her hometown. And I think it's safe to say that the Samaritan woman went back home, and she carried on worshiping in spirit and in truth, because she was gushing. Now think about this. How difficult was her to go for her? back home, and not just slink into the shadows. No, no, she was changed. 
She goes into this town. She doesn't go in and hide like she has previously. No, no, she goes in and she's like, you need to know. Come and see the man who told me everything about myself. She can't keep quiet. Why? Because she's discovered worship in spirit and in truth. She's discovered the Messiah. Listen to how John puts it, and then we'll pray. Verse 28, 29, and 39. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. I mean, up to now, she's hidden that, really, right? I mean, she knows everyone's talking about it. She knows that she's the gossip of the town, but now she's like, I don't care. You think I'm bad? You don't know half of it. Come and see the man. I don't care. I'll tell you everything I've done. But now something's changed. Can this be the Christ, she said, down to verse 39. Look, Look at the result. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. What a testimony. Shady lady. Found living water. Living water can only come from Jesus Christ. No other religion, no relationship outside of Christ can satisfy your soul. So let's drink by faith. Let's just drink in this offer this morning. We're going to pray, and all I want you to do is by faith, with truth in your head, drink. Drink in the truth. Just just come to Jesus, the gift of God, and thank him. And then we're going to sing together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. But we thank you that this isn't just a story for an ancient people, but this is a a story for us in this room right here, right now. Lord, we all have a history. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. But we thank you that you come to us And you offer us life, living water. Lord, forgive us for drinking from broken cisterns. Lord, forgive us for for trying to find other people or other places to satisfy us. And so we come to you, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the gift of God, the Savior of the world. We come to you, and when we come to you, we come to you in spirit, with our whole hearts, and in truth. You are God. There is no other. And we pray that you would change us, that you would change the affections of our hearts, that you would change us in our thoughts, that we would worship you with our whole lives. Come and see a man. Come and see this man, Jesus, who's changed my life. May that be our testimony too. And so we drink, by faith now, we drink deeply of Jesus Christ. We receive you, Lord Jesus. We receive you afresh this morning.
change us, transform us. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand together as we sing this song. Let's just pour out our praise. Let's worship in spirit and in truth. Amen.